you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 11, a special day after Easter message tonight. As you're turning there, uh, Hannah and I enjoy a special type of camping called backpacking. Any backpackers out there? Yeah, backpacking is it's interesting. You know, you, you sleep on the hard ground with a mat that's about this thick. Um, you hike because you think it's fun, like 15 to 20 miles a day, sometimes in extreme conditions. Uh, you dig a hole to go to the bathroom, and uh, you eat freeze-dried food, and you call it a vacation, right? Um, but we enjoy backpacking, and when you backpack, what you put in, what you don't put in your backpack is really important. I, I want to tell you about uh, two hikes, two of the most dangerous hikes in the world, one that I've done and one that I promise I will never do. Here's the first. Uh, Zion National Park. It's out in southern Utah. It's stunning. It's this red rock canyon, and they have some of the most incredible hikes in the continental United States. One of the most famous ones is the Narrows, where you hike actually in this stream, in this river, and there's these cliffs on either side that are like a thousand feet up. And as you're hiking, you're in ankle deep, knee deep, sometimes waist deep water, and you're going up into the canyon as far as you want to. Um, It was an absolutely stunning Uh, incredible hike. But the hike that uh, Zion is most known for is a hike called Angel's Landing. Uh, Angel's Landing is this little knife's edge hike where at some points you have like, you know, a couple feet on either side, a thousand foot cliff, and you're holding on to this chain link fence so that you don't fall off, right? And you're just trusting that whoever drilled in the chain link fence was actually a good engineer. And you're, uh, you're walking up to the top and the angel's landing part is like this plateau, like this outcropping that's like 1,700 feet above the canyon floor. It is, it is absolutely stunning. Now, Hannah and I took Matthias to Zion back in uh, 2020. He was four months old. We didn't backpack, we car camped because backpacking with a four-month-old is a whole other crazy idea. But we took Matthias to angel's landing with Hannah strapped, or Matthias strapped to Hannah's chest. And... <laughs> I think the people we encountered had one of two reactions. One was, wow, you guys are incredible. And the other thought, if my phone worked, I'd report you to Child Protective Services. (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully, we didn't have cell reception on the top of Angel's Landing, so we were okay. Don't worry, we all survived. Um, But actually, depending on who you ask um, or which article you read, 15 or more people have lost their life while hiking Angel's Landing. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for those who are scared of heights. I've done that hike. Uh, there's another hike that um, I haven't done. I will never do. Uh, but one of my coworkers has actually done. Uh, it's a hike in China. It's in the Xi'an province. It's on Mount Hua, uh, Huashan. It's a 7,000 foot peak, 75, 75 miles east of Xi'an. The path up the mountain, it's one of the most dangerous in the world. You can see the knife's ledge on either side. Thankfully, it looks like maybe there's some railings there. I'm not really sure. They don't look very tall. But after you do this part of the hike, you get to the plank section of the hike where there's these three little planks that are drilled into the side of this cliff and you clip in. And that's Kirsten. Maybe you met Kirsten before. She works in our children's ministry. She did this hike when she was a missionary over in China. And literally, there's like behind her, below her, it's like a thousand feet. Um, and when you have to go around someone, you've got to unclip and reclip, and I, I don't think I could do it, right? I couldn't do it. It's a horrifying hike. Um, anyone out there think they could do this hike? 
Brian, I've got about, Brian, next young adult trip, Brian's taking you to China. So I will not be going. Thank you. <laughs> so if you're going to hike Angel's Landing, if you're going to hike that trail in China, what you put in your backpack, what you don't put in your backpack is very important. I mean, think of the things that would be near the top of the list for a backpacking trip. Water, probably some food, probably a way to start your fire, definitely toilet paper, a, rat, a map, a rain jacket. Those would all make the list. Or think of the things that you'd certainly leave off the list on a long backpacking trip. Um, what did you say? Mayonnaise. Yeah, mayonnaise. I wouldn't bring mayonnaise. <laughs> you know, that probably wasn't the first on my list, but that's fine. When we went uh, to Mexico a couple weeks ago, Alex Jasper brought this Bluetooth speaker in his checked bag that was 30 pounds. Um, I probably wouldn't bring that with me on a backpacking trip. Um, it wasn't worth it, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe your makeup, a comic book, your coffee. For me, coffee goes in the necessity pile, but that's besides the point, right? When you're on a long hiking journey, if you're backpacking, what you put in your backpack what you leave out of your backpack is very important. Now, following Jesus is an adventure. It's better than the greatest hike, the most beautiful journey. But when we journey with Jesus, what we choose to put in our backpack, what we choose to leave out of our backpack is very important. Anybody can carry a heavy backpack for a mile, two miles, but a 40 or 50 pound pack for 40 miles, 50 miles, it begins to weigh heavily. You know, it, for me, it's such a privilege to be part of the young adult family. And one of the things that I count as one of the highest privileges is having deep conversations with you. And I've been humbled at how many of you at different points over the last couple of years have let me in. You've opened up the backpack, you've shared the burdens, the tough stuff, and you've allowed me to bear those with you. Um, and that has just been such a privilege for me. Thank you. Thanks for trusting me. Um, but as we've gotten to know each other as we've had those conversations, I'm amazed at the weight of some of the backpacks that you're carrying and your journey with Jesus. Some of you walked in the door tonight feeling like, I'm not really sure I can take another step in this whole Jesus thing. Is this really worth it? Some of you walked in the door thinking, yeah, I don't really know the last time I talked with Jesus. I'm actually kind of mad at him, if I'm honest. Some of you have been wearing your heavy burdened backpacks for so long that you're actually so used to it, you don't even realize that they're there. I've heard story after story of the heavy backpacks that you carry, and I love our text tonight in Matthew 11, because Jesus provides a blanket offer to anyone, to all, to run to him and to trade packs. So Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 28. We're just looking at three verses tonight. It says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you catch that blanket invitation? 
And Jesus offers to anyone, anyone who wants to know the Father, anybody who's seeking after truth, anyone who's tired, anybody who's weak, anybody who's burdened with a heavy load, Jesus offers a blanket invitation to anyone who feels like they can't continue, who feels like they can't take another step to come to Jesus and find rest. Thank you very much. First principle tonight, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we have to know the Savior who calls us to himself. We need the right view of Jesus. I'm convinced that some of us have a distorted view of Jesus, the wrong view of Jesus, a twisted view of Jesus. And that might make us less inclined to accept his invitation to run to him, to come to him. So here's just a couple false views of Jesus. Here's the first, heavy-handed Jesus. Some people view Jesus as this harsh judge, this dictator, someone who's quick to punish. A fear of Jesus motivates submission, but there's no love, there's no affection for Christ, just a a fear of punishment, even eternal punishment. This person might be so fearful of hell that every wrong step makes them think they might fall off the edge of the cliff. What's the result? Well, when people view Jesus as a punitive dictator, they don't run toward him, When things are going bad, they run away. Fear and guilt and shame, the name of the game. They might confess only if they're caught in the act. But that's not our Savior. Think of a second false view. Buddy Jesus. Jesus is my friend. He's my pal. He's my buddy. Someone who's always there to listen. Someone who's always there to hang out. But he can't really ever fix a problem. He's not really that powerful. He's just a good sounding board. Now, this person doesn't ask for very much because they don't believe that Jesus has all power. They're defeated in their battle against sin because Jesus doesn't have the power to help. How about a third false view? The, I don't care, Jesus. Jesus, look at the problems of my life. If you really cared, then you'd do something. This Jesus is distant and far away, unwilling to help, unwilling to love and to care. This person doesn't talk to Jesus because they're angry with him. They're frustrated with him. When they face a trial or pain, they believe that he's far away, so why talk? Or how about this false view of Jesus? Genie Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen Aladdin? The genie in the bottle, where you rub the bottle three times, the genie comes out, you get your three wishes. Some people treat Jesus the same way. They only talk to Jesus when they need something, and they're only happy with Jesus when they get the thing that they want. When the hike's going great, no need for Jesus. But when things are bad, that's when this person runs to him. You know, these are false views that all of us maybe have struggled with at some point in our life, but that's not the picture Jesus paints of himself in our text. Did you catch how Jesus describes himself? I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I hope that just blows your mind. Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, the one who created the world simply by speaking, the one who raised people from the dead, the one who healed the lame and the blind and the sick, the one who could read people's minds and speak to them after reading their thoughts, the one who was raised from the dead in glory, the one who's awaiting the appointed time to return and to make everything new. Jesus, he's the perfect prophet, priest, and king, the one before whom everyone will bow their knee in worship. 
this Jesus is gentle and lowly. Gentle, it's the Greek word praus. It's translated meek. Meekness, it's not weakness. Meekness is power under control. He's gentle, but he's also lowly in heart. It's translated sometimes as humble. It's a, it's a word that's used to describe the lowest of servants. You know, the night before Jesus died, that Thursday night, he rose from supper <laughs> and he did the unthinkable. He did a task that only the lowest of servants would do. He washed his disciples' feet. He scrubbed the mud and the poop out from between their toes. He scrubbed his sweaty feet with their hands. This act of service, it was just a foreshadowing of what he was about to do the next day. When Jesus suffered, as we talked about last week, horribly on the cross, the cat of nine tails, the horrible whip that ripped through his back, the Romans were relentless. He had a, a crown of thorns that was smashed into his skull. They drove nails into his wrists and into his feet, hung him publicly on a cross, naked and bloody as a public humiliation. And every time he had to breathe, he had to push down on the nails in his hands and in his feet just to get air into his lungs. We talked about it last week from Isaiah 53. See, when Jesus called himself gentle and lowly, these weren't just empty words. They weren't hollow words. They were the truest words ever spoken. See, Jesus is gentle and lowly because in the greatest act of service in the history of the world, he went to the cross for you and for me. The one who is inviting us to run to him is the one who laid down his life for us. He died so that we could have a relationship with him. Do you know the real Jesus? Do you believe in the real Jesus? Have you placed your faith in the real Jesus? Jesus isn't your buddy. He's not a pal. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not distant. He is the all-powerful Savior who died for you so that you could find forgiveness and new life. Believing in Jesus, it's the most important decision that you can make. Look again at verse 29. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's an interesting analogy. We don't use the word yoke very much. No, Jesus is not talking about an egg yoke. But to his audience, this analogy was far more familiar to them than it is to us because it was a farming society. It's a farming analogy. A yoke was a wooden beam or a frame that hung between two oxen that connected to the plow behind them and it allowed them to plow the field. They didn't have John Deere back in Jesus' day, so they needed to use the oxen. But this isn't the only reference in the Bible to a heavy yoke, a heavy burden, a heavy load. It reminds me of Jesus' conversation in Matthew 23. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to what he says. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes, the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders just like a yoke. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See what Jesus is saying, right? The scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they compiled this list of laws. In addition to the 613 commands in the Old Testament, they added over 1,500 extra laws as bubble wrap around the laws. And they required the people to obey them, to carry them, to carry this heavy load. But Jesus says <laughs> they didn't even obey them. They didn't even wish to move their finger. They just imposed these laws on 
the people. The people knew legalism. But for Jesus' audience, he was offering them something radically different than the load of the religious leaders. He was offering them a chance to trade the heavy pack, the unbearable yoke of the Pharisees, for his yoke. Well, Jesus is offering us the same thing tonight. He's giving you a chance to make a trade. That's our second principle. This is trade packs. Trade packs. You know, tonight we're probably not tempted to follow all of the extra laws of the scribes and the Pharisees, but there's other things that we might be tempted to put in our backpack. Let's see what we can find in here. Some of us are tempted with the load of legalism. Might not be the same as the scribes and the Pharisees, but it's easy for us to tend the same direction. Do you ever reduce your relationship with God to the absence or the presence of one sin in your life? It's legalism. Do you ever believe that God is mad at you when you miss just one day of Bible reading? That's legalism. Do you summarize your spiritual health by a list of rules? That's legalism. It's not the load that you have to carry. Or how about this? How many are carrying the load of popularity? I know what you're thinking. No, this is not my mirror. (laughs) And I'm sure none of us are tempted to be overly concerned about what other people think of us, are we? That's for other young adult groups, not ours. No, how often are we just overly concerned about what somebody thinks? How many people are following me on Instagram? How many snaps did I get today? Or I just don't have the relationships that I want, or I don't really think my friends like me, or how much time do you spend picking out your clothes for the day, or looking in the mirror each morning? Looking to other people for our worth and our identity doesn't work very well because they are always going to let us down and we are always going to be disappointed. Load of popularity, it's not a burden that you have to bear. Or how about this? We're going to call this our load of sin. Are phones sinful? No. But man, they certainly open up, open us up to a world of sin, don't they? Maybe it's just spending too much time on social media. Or maybe it's what you view on your phone. Maybe it's a burden of pornography. Or maybe the sin that you're putting in your backpack on your walk with Jesus is something completely unrelated to your phone. Maybe it's a relationship that's gone south. Or you know, maybe it's idolatry of the job or a certain lifestyle. Maybe it's a substance that you have a little too close of a relationship with. And we put the sin in our backpack and it weighs us down on our walk with Jesus. It's not a load you have to carry. How about this? <laughs> the load of control. 
Anyone ever wish you could control your future with a remote? Be kind of nice. You know, some of the anxiety that we experience, not all, some of the anxiety we experience in our life is from this gap between the control that I want to have and the control that I actually have. The bigger the gap, sometimes the more anxious we can be. Are you worried about your future? Has controlling your future been a burden you've been carrying in your backpack? Lord, what's going to happen with this relationship? Lord, I, I don't know what job I'm going to take. I, I, I don't know what college I'm going to go to. Where am I going to live? What are, you, what are you going to do with my life? Well, what's two or three or four or five steps down the road? And we try to control the future. It's not a burden that you have to carry. Or how about this? <laughs> the brick of guilt and shame. It's a heavy one. Maybe it's not present sin, it's past tense sin. It's stuff that's already been handled, it's been forgiven. But the enemy keeps trying to take that brick and put it right back in your backpack. Are you sure you're forgiven? Are you sure that you're loved? What if everybody else knew about this? They wouldn't love you, they wouldn't accept you. And you keep carrying the, back, the burden in your backpack as a way almost to feel better, to say, well, at least I'm paying for a, a little bit of my sin. This is not a burden that you have to carry. I didn't put this one in my backpack. How about the load of pain? Sometimes the things that we put in our backpack, <laughs> we didn't put there. Somebody else did. And for many of you here tonight, because of the sin of somebody else in your life, they stabbed you in the back. And they took that pain and they put it in your backpack and you've been carrying that for days, for weeks, for months, for years. I'm sorry. It's a burden that Jesus doesn't want you to carry. Or how about this? How about the load of sadness? Maybe some of you tonight or in the last year, couple years have just felt down. You don't really know why. And every day you wake up, you hope that it's going to get better. You hope you're not going to feel as down and depressed, but every day it gets a little bit worse and you haven't talked to anyone because you hope that it's just going to get better. Then it wasn't too long ago that this thought came into your mind, I wonder if it'd be better if I just wasn't here. That's a lie straight from the enemy. God has a plan for you. He wants you here. Ending it all is never the option. But that's not a burden that Jesus wants you to carry. Or how about this one? I went to my office and I found the biggest Bible I could possibly find. You could knock somebody else out with this. Man. It was a gift from my mother-in-law. I'm not sure what that means. 
some of you carrying the load of ministry. Good things. Great things. But maybe you feel like ministry lives and dies with you. If you don't show up, it's going to fail. Or maybe you feel like ministry success lives and dies with you. That the kids you're investing in a G180 or the kids you just hung out with in Mexico, that you've got to hold everything together in their life. Or maybe you're doing full-time ministry or maybe you're doing volunteer ministry and ministry has become your identity. You find your worth, your value and what you're doing for Jesus. And it feels good because of course it's a good thing I'm doing ministry. But ministry makes a lousy savior. And we find our identity in what we're doing for Jesus. We're going to burn out in a hurry. You know, probably not an exhaustive list of burdens that you put in your backpack. I think it covered a lot of them tonight. Those are loads that Jesus does not want you to carry. You see what he's offering in this verse? He's offering a trade. He's offering to take your heavy burdens, the ones that have been weighing you down for so long. No questions asked. He wants to trade packs. He'll bear your burden of popularity. He'll bear your burden of sin. He'll bear your burden of pain and shame. Why? Because all of these burdens, he paid for at the cross. The burdens have already been dealt with on Calvary. He's willing to take your backpack. Will you let him do that tonight? He wants to bear your burdens. But when we trade packs with Jesus, um, we don't get to hike pack free. We make a trade. He gets our backpack, our heavy burdened backpack of sin, and we get his backpack. He calls it a light load, but he still calls it a load. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, imagine what it would be like to hike for 20, 30 miles with a 40 or 50 pound pack. Be miserable. But then imagine after those 50 miles that you trade packs and you go from a 50 pound pack to a eight or nine pound pack. Still a, a load, but it would literally feel like you're walking on air. That's what Jesus is talking about here. When we, we still wear a backpack in our journey with Jesus, and I would describe it with one word, obedience. Obedience. That's the burden, the backpack, it's not a burden, that Jesus asks us to carry. And this passage is really talking about the Christian life. When we come to Jesus, we run to Jesus for salvation. We're saved by faith. But then after salvation, we put on the backpack, not before and that backpack is obedience. But consider the motivation for obedience. The motivation for obedience in the Christian life and our walk with Jesus is complete opposite of every other religion in the world. Uh, think of the religious mentality. It goes like this. It's built on the following premise. I obey, and then I'm accepted by God or whoever that God might be in that religion. Think of how that plays out in Catholicism. I believe in Jesus, but then I'm, I'm baptized, I take communion, I give, I have to be a good person. Then I'll shorten my time in purgatory, I'll eventually make it to heaven. I have to do these things to be accepted by God. Or think of a religion like Buddhism, rooted in incarnation, where you settle the accounts of good deeds from one life and the next life, always seeking 
after Nirvana. You obey and then you're accepted. Or think of Islam on one extreme and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses on the other. We are working hard to please God, whoever that God might be, in order to achieve the highest level of heaven or entrance into eternal pleasure. Obey and then you're accepted. But what does Jesus require of you to trade packs? Nothing. Nothing. To run to Jesus and believe by faith. Trust in him for salvation. We're accepted by God and then we obey. Christianity inverts the entire religious paradigm. Why is Jesus' load easy to carry? (laughs) Because we're not trying to earn favor with God by what we carry in our backpack. We're not trying to earn entrance into heaven. Those things were accomplished the moment that we believed in Christ for salvation. And then as a worshipful response to what Jesus did, we take up a new backpack, one of worship, one of surrender, one of obedience. So there's two important aspects to this trade, two things that'll help us understand what it means to walk with Jesus. After we trade packs, the text says that we then learn from Jesus. The Greek word is connected to what it means to be a disciple. And the cool thing is that Jesus, he's not asking us to walk a path that he's never walked. Jesus says the chief servant wants us to learn from him what it also means to be a servant. So our third thing tonight is that we get to be a student. Be a student. It's discipleship. It's following Jesus. Our journey with Jesus It's the greatest adventure. It's not a rogue mission. We don't get to go wherever we want. We don't get to do whatever we want. We follow Jesus. We submit to Jesus. It goes back to the idea of a yoke that Jesus uses in our passage. A yoke requires not one, but two oxen, doesn't it? One on either side behind the plow. So if we're one ox, who's the other? Jesus. He's right there with us. It's life with Jesus, not life for Jesus. It's not that Jesus just gives us a map, sends us out with a backpack and says, hey, I'll see you in heaven. That's how it works. He's right there doing the adventure with us, which means we've got to spend time in the school of Jesus. We've got to spend time with him. How can I love people like Jesus? How can I serve people like Jesus? How can I reflect Jesus? How can I teach like Jesus? We need to submit to him by being a student of him which requires that we spend time in his word, not just to check a box, but to get to know Jesus. What would it look like even this week to start reading through one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, with the desire of knowing Jesus? And every day, just writing down one thing that you learn about Jesus that day. We've got to get to know Jesus. We have to be a student in the school of Christ. He's the greatest mentor and the best model. So after we do those three things, after we run to Jesus, after we trade packs, after we learn from Jesus, then Jesus makes a pretty cool promise. He says that we'll find rest. It's our fourth, find a real rest. Jesus invites us to find rest for our soul. (laughs) This is not a a superficial rest. This is not the rest you feel after taking that amazing three-hour Sunday afternoon nap right? It's not the rest you feel after sleeping for 12 hours uninterrupted after a long week at work. This is deep rest. This is soul rest. Peace that comes from knowing that we're forgiven and nothing can change that. Peace that comes from knowing that we're adopted as God's children and no one can unadopt us. Peace that comes from knowing 
where we go when we die. When we let go of our burdens, our priorities change. Our perspectives change. Our relationship with Jesus becomes what matters most. See, this is a rest that comes from the gospel, knowing that there's nothing that you need to do to please Jesus. There's nothing that you need to do to get Jesus to like you. He died for you while you were his enemy. He loved you while you were in sin. He offers to trade backpacks, not because you've earned it, not because you've deserved it, but because of his mercy and grace. He took your backpack of sin and gives you his backpack of righteousness. There's incredible peace that comes from knowing this, that when you know Jesus, he's not going to let go of you. He's not going to abandon you on the trail. He's not going to kick you out of the family. That if we run to Jesus, if we trade packs, if we learn from Jesus, he makes a promise that we'll find real rest. And you know, some of you are tired tonight, physically tired, spiritually tired. Take Jesus at his word. Run to him. Give him your burdens. Be a student and find rest. You know, I know what you're thinking. It's probably the best question you could ask <laughs> is how in the world do I do this? How do I give Jesus the burden that's been in my backpack? Like it's a cool illustration, but how do we do that? Well, consider for a moment why we're looking at Matthew 11 the day after Easter. Because on Good Friday, <laughs> when Jesus walked that hill up to Golgotha, he had a heavier burden than we can imagine on his back. He carried his own cross. The burden was so heavy that he couldn't even carry it himself. Somebody else had to carry it for him. But that wasn't the heaviest burden he had to bear that day, was it? Your sin, my sin, Everything that we've carried in our backpack throughout the world, throughout all history, was put on Christ. That for the first time in forever, Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your face from me? As the Father put the wrath of our sin on the Son, and Jesus bore the most incredible, heaviest burden that we couldn't even imagine. And then when he died, he cried out to Telestai, it's finished. The debt was paid in full. The burdens were dealt with. And as a vindication, as the stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice, the Father raised Christ from the dead on the third day. The burdens have been paid. The debt of sin is taken care of. So if we want Jesus to bear our burdens, the first thing we have to do is we run to Jesus, not away from him. <laughs> don't have to clean up your life before you come to Jesus. You run to him. And then second, you've got to talk to him. You've got to let him know what's in the backpack. He already knows, but you've got to take those things out. And you've got to talk to him about it. But in addition to talking to Jesus, if we want to deal with those burdens... We've got to talk to somebody else. Jesus has given us the gift of one another that we aren't meant to carry these burdens alone, and we've got to talk to somebody. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I woke up one morning, and this was in my backpack. Remember what this one was, right? Guilt and shame. Don't know where it came from, but stuff that I thought was dealt with forgiven from a long time ago 
these thoughts, you're not forgiven, you're not loved, this isn't dealt with, what's wrong with you, who could love you? And I just waited for it to go away. And it didn't. It got worse and worse. And finally, I said, I've got to talk to somebody. So I talked to my wife. And it got worse and worse. I was like, what, what is wrong with me? And finally, I've got, to, I've got to talk to somebody that I respect. So knocked on the door of a spiritual dad in my life and said, we've got to talk. I've got to share this burden with you. And I almost can't describe what happened in that moment for me. That the moment that got verbalized and he prayed for me, the brick disappeared. It was like Satan's grip was just, it was just gone. Um, and I was so thankful that the Lord gave me the courage to have that conversation. I didn't put it there. The enemy put it there. I had to take it out. Um, now, can I promise that when you share the burdens in your backpack, you're going to have the same experience? No, I can't promise that. But you've got to find someone that you've trust, that you trust that you can share your burden with them. The words of a very wise pastor that you know very well. In order to bear a burden, you have to share a burden. So if the, the Lord's revealed something in that backpack that needs to get revealed tonight, don't leave tonight with writing a name down on your handout, someone that you're going to commit to talk to this week. Let me pray. Father, um, <laughs> what an incredible picture of Christ that you gave us in this passage, a Savior who's gentle and lowly in heart, who, as the creator, the sustainer of the world, the one who raised people from the dead, the one who had the authority and the power to demand and command anything, still came and offered himself as a humble and lowly servant. If there's anyone here tonight that has a distorted view of Christ, may you, may you fix the distorted view, give them the right view. If there's anyone here tonight that hasn't ran to Jesus for salvation, may, may you call them to yourself and save them. Tonight, may they cry out to you and believe. Father, I know most of us are carrying things in our backpack. Um, and in your grace, may you reveal those things to us tonight and give us the courage to have conversations both with you and with others so that we can trade packs. As we dialogue about some of these things in our small group tonight, I just ask that you might guide our time um, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.